This is the first episode of the podcast, so welcome. This week, we're going to really introduce ourselves, talk about the company a little bit, and talk about some of our aspirations for the podcast. So as I mentioned, I'm Sam Drawshack. I have been doing process consulting and what I call process science work for the last maybe 12, 13 years. And this is Jonathan, my partner. Thanks, Sam. And uh, this is Jonathan Adams, and I lead a process consulting team. I've done so for the past 10 years. And uh, Sam and I met, uh, oh, I don't know, how about how long ago now? Uh, I guess it's been five years, six years? About five or six years ago, and uh, in the context of an interview, and uh, I recall how uh, at the end of the day, I think the interview from a technical perspective didn't go great. But what I learned pretty quickly was that despite having engaged with, uh, I would say, every top consulting entity out there, uh, Sam brought a perspective and a capability that was uh, uh, that was lacking uh, in all my uh, engagement uh, until then. Yeah, and that's a probably a better segue to a more detailed history on my part. So when I say I've been doing process consulting work, I like many people who are interested in consulting, I did some time with Accenture, I worked in small consulting situations, and then eventually I, you know, even when I was working with Jonathan, I started to do independent consulting, but I've always had issue with some of the more conventional consulting techniques that have been going out there, not just techniques about method in the field, but also how companies put together a consulting agency or a consultancy, how they sold their product, how they engage with companies, and I, I was definitely filled with a lot of angst and I wanted to do good work for businesses. But when I met Jonathan, to his point, I might not have been your conventional consultant or the, the consultant that would have been like, this is what you'd expect from maybe a, a big four consulting firm trained person. But I had a lot of ideas and Jonathan really gave me a platform originally within his company to start launching some of those ideas and being entrepreneurial. And, and I think that that particular opportunity and and openness in Jonathan kind of led us to this this podcast and this company and this new idea that we're bringing forward today. And I would say a lot of that idea is, uh, we're, we're taking it from the perspective of consultants and uh, the value they add or don't add uh, to the market in general, but it really is solving for the problem that everyone knows exists, which is there's just a tremendous amount of waste in all activity that's going on at almost any entity that exists today. And that waste finds itself in efforts that uh, can't possibly succeed from the outset to not being able to identify even what they should be working on and uh, a host of problems along those lines. And uh, taking it from the consulting perspective or the traditional one is everyone's focused on the problem that's being asked of them. So a consulting, a consultant might come in to uh, address, you know, a given scope of work, but whether or not that scope of work should occur at all uh, is not even asked and, the, and and not even addressed all too often. So Sam, I see you nodding. So yeah, I, I mean, we, we, we we're seeing a lot of the same thing. So Jonathan hires me and we're working on some of the same problems at the company that Jonathan was working at. And I was also trying to simultaneously think about how we could solve some of these problems of unqualified questions that businesses were just hiring people to work on and all this wasteful activity going on. And, and eventually, you know, we kept talking 
And we thought we really need to be unconstrained from our current job, from all this other consulting work and, and form a company that could have a deep focus on the problem that Jonathan just articulated, which is what is the problem that companies are trying to solve? What is the real problem? Not just, hey, we've got fires that we need to hire people to put out over and over and over again, but what can we do to meaningfully change the way the market thinks about problems, consulting level problems, hiring consultants to solve them? The whole exchange just seemed broken and the more and more companies we work with and the more companies we saw, we had a common interest in, in trying to solve them, trying to understand, I would say the true value that companies bring to the table and how to enhance and to work with that. And that's really the origin of, of what the company is, the, the Truval company, which is what we're forming today. And that's Jonathan and I's newest endeavor together for the first time to say, we're gonna build a company that focuses squarely on this particular uh, subset of issues, like complex level issues that you'd hire consultants normally hire, but make sure you're doing it right and make sure that you don't have to pay big ticket to kind of uh, solve these things, or do you even have to solve them? So giving really that knowledge out to people, democratizing that knowledge, that's really part of the mission of, of Truval as a company. And that's the key. The key is we believe it can be democratized. And the reason we believe it can be is because the fundamentals are the same no matter what entity is, no matter what problem is being solved. And that's very, very different than the current state of consulting out there. Most consulting companies or every consulting company is selling a particular maturity model, a particular approach to solving certain problems, and that's their secret ingredient. And what we're saying is, is that there is none. There, there are fundamental, what we call science, uh, uh, pr principles that apply universally. And uh, we've seen this in every context that we've uh, applied it, be it a Fortune 100 company, be it a small startup, the, the fundamentals equally apply. And what we're aiming to do is to digitize that into a system so that everybody has access to this ability. Yeah. And, and I think it's worth talking about the science piece a little bit because, you know, I, I've had stones thrown at me over the years when I started to coin the term process science or process scientist. And, you know, when people think about business, you know, they wonder how scientific can it be. A lot of times science and business are not, not conflated. You can go to school to learn about business but, but what Jonathan's pointing out, hey, there's some fundamental principles that underlie all business and are, are, are constant across all business. That's not really talked about that often. And it's a bit of a bold statement. But really, we don't want to sound as, as extreme as that might come across as. Because when we talk about science, we're really talking about uh, making sure that we're being very rigorous about testing what we say is good business practice across many different contexts, many different like spaces and that it can be independently verified by other people. So the point being, you know, I don't have to hire a consultant in one space and then hire a consultant in another space for the same problem and expect them to give me different answers. That's part of the problem, right? There should be a consistency. There should be a level of consistency that if you have the same inputs to a business problem, one would think you could create a method that gives you the same outputs of how to solve that problem. That's where if you can say you can do that, you're getting to a scientific level of rigor. So when Jonathan and I talk about a consulting company or a consulting knowledge base, let's say that we're putting into software, it has to pass that level of rigor to be what we would consider good quality at Truval to say that it doesn't matter you know, who's applying it. 
you're going to get the same result and you're going to get a consistent result. And I think that's sort of the scientific aspect. So I don't want anyone to think out there that, okay, we've already developed an entire science that could be written into 50 tomes worth of knowledge about how this is going to go. But everything that we do deploy in our software and our advisement and our conversations, you can guarantee that our discipline and our rigor says that this has been verified across many different studies, many different situations, and that we're getting the same results. And it doesn't matter that Jonathan and I are doing it. We're really just showing that anyone can do it. And I think you have to reach that level of consistency in order to say, we're gonna take something as big and complicated as consulting work and put it in the software. And, and that's the key though, the fact that anyone could apply it. You know, So if you hire a consulting entity today, there's going to be many um, uh, factors that will determine whether or not it's a successful uh, engagement. Now, that, that's even saying that it has a chance of being successful because I don't know what the, I, I forgot the latest statistics, but it's uh, over 50% of any Bad. consulting engagements uh, don't result in any return of investment, not even to cover the cost of the consulting engagement. So that's problem one. Problem two is, if there is such proprietary and specific knowledge out there, why then is it possible that if you go to any two different teams for the same exact problem from the same exact consulting company, it's even remotely possible that you can get a different result from that engagement? And everybody knows that that's true because everyone thinks it also does matter about the team. What we're saying from, from a science perspective is, is that the principles we're speaking to could equally be applied by any team and you're going to get the same exact result because the input that you're looking at and the, the, the factors that we think matter most and then the output that matters most would be consistent uh, no matter what the, the specific context is. And that's A. I think B is that generally, if anybody had been able to solve this, it wouldn't be possible that some 70% of transformations or 70% of enterprise resource planning type implementations fail. Everybody knows this. So it's either a failure in, in conception that the, the project should never have gone through or an execution. But one of, either way, if this has been going on for as long as it has, how is it possible that it keeps going on and that anyone can deign to say that uh, their consulting company is solving it when they all agree that they're part of the same exact statistics? So what we're saying is at least at a minimum, applying our tool and applying our methodology, you're going to get a consistent result and an, a, a, a likelihood and the factors that will impact the ability for anything to succeed. So I think those are the main distinguishing characteristics. Yeah, and, and I'd say that really well defines what we're trying to do at Truval and what you're going to see a lot of on this podcast, which is real conversations about the problems that we've seen in the marketplace. And, you know, we hope to have lively discussions about what those problems are, how they keep getting repeated over and over again. How does the crazy persist? You know, Jonathan and I talk about a lot in our in our experiences, like I said, I've been consulting in-house, externally, by myself, have my own consultancy. You know, I consider that myself to have a wide range of consulting experience. And what I can say consistently is that it's crazy everywhere. Every company has these giant problems and they're trying to solve them the same way over and over and failing over and over and over. And, you know, between talking about the use cases and really getting in there and trying to help people, you know, Jonathan and I both came to the table and said, there has to be a faster and more reliable way to tackle some of these big problems. And, and it really speaks to also, if you think about consulting, one of the things that it's important is everything's getting faster. The market's getting faster. How can you expect to hire a team to come into your company 
and you need something done in three months, when in reality, a consultant with no experience with your company is going to have to come up to speed in, in six weeks just to even be able to talk your language, talk about your culture, understand your problem. And we know this. We, we know this when we hire consultants for ridiculous rates. And we do it anyway. And we expect them every time to come up with a different result after you know ramping up for six weeks and then making a recommendation in six weeks that's going to change the entire strategy of the organization. It's a, it's a difficult ask. So why do we keep doing it this way? Why, why is this industry so big? And it, these are the questions that we've been a part of. We've been a part of the solution, a part of the problem. But now I think that we're, we're combining forces to really bring some insight and products out there in any way we can. It's, it's kind of now our, our life purpose, I'd say. Right, Jonathan? Hundred percent, and it's very interesting because you, you know, how does it persist, and 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 how is it possible that that all this waste exists? Everybody knows it's there. Everybody knows that there's tons of waste. It's it's not even a question. Everyone knows that uh, all these major transformation efforts fail all the time. What's really interesting, though, is you could take any consulting product, you take any final report, and within an organization. You can have diametrically opposed uh, uh, constituents saying that the report stands for the path forward that they want. So even the even the nature of some of these uh, engagements and the and the output um, doesn't seem to uh, uh, support a very concrete, clear. This is the only path, or this, these are the only possibilities, or these are your absolute constraints. Um, it seems to the very confusion that exists within an organization. And we would we would uh, put forward, and uh, we are confident we'll do so in these podcasts uh, using uh, real live examples. That uh, that's impossible. If there was any, uh, uh, if there's any value in consulting or any value in giving insight, it is that you should be able to see some absolutes. Something should be in black and white. But uh, adding to the gray only hides the the the, the ability for more waste to uh, perpetuate. Yeah. And I, and again, I think one of my favorite topics, and I'd like to spend some time expounding on it is why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep adding to the gray? As Jonathan just pointed out, if I know a consultant is just paid to give me an opinion, then why would I hire somebody else's opinion who has no experience in my organization? And that kind of brings us back to some of the premises, I think, that people think about hiring consultants. And I'll start with the first one. There is a, a level of just politicking that's been sort of established in the business world of we hire a consultant to get a third party opinion so that we can help move our agenda internally. And, and ironically, I almost think this is one of the most legitimate reasons to use an external consultant. And that might be kind of incendiary. But in a way, if you know that you're in a political gridlock internally, especially at a high level executive level, and you need to hire an external source to come in and provide additional data or additional perspective, just if nothing else to move the conversation, then that might actually be worth uh, the, the cost if you can actually break the filibuster, so to speak, or move that forward out of committee into some action. Um, but again, is that worth half a million dollars? Is that worth a million dollars? That's, you know, it, it's an outstanding question, right? I would say, well, it is. I would say if they could truly provide an objective view that nobody could hide behind and that could actually move something forward in a meaningful way, that could be worth that amount of money because uh, the, the politics are internally sometimes uh, uh, you could even say that that's the reason for consulting uh, engagement and people would accept that. The problem is that it doesn't produce that result. It doesn't produce that truly objective, independent uh, output, um, but rather, as I said, either, well, I'm getting into some of the reasons. Most of the time, people can't even follow it. 
You know, they, they don't really understand how to execute. Most consultants don't stick around long enough with enough experience of the execution that they actually see the connection between some sort of roadmap and how it applies in the real world. And as we said, because it lacks the scientific rigor that we're speaking to, uh, it lends itself to multiple possible outcomes. Whereas if, uh, if things were more methodically laid, laid out in a way that was universal, as we believe it definitely is possible, uh, that would be much less likely to occur. Yeah. Well, and even what Jonathan just pointed out, and I think is, you, you know, it's implied is the objective part. Do you hire an objective voice of reason to break up tough conversations, even in this particular use case, because you believe they're objective? And that's a question for you guys in the audience. Do you believe that a consultant can provide an objective opinion? Because again, I think it comes back around to the entire point of our company in these conversations, which is, is there objectivity in business? We believe so. But then if you can actually get behind that and you actually think you can talk to somebody who can come in with a clear perspective and an objective viewpoint and give you data and facts, then why would only that person be fit to do it? Then you kind of implicitly accept the, the, the reasoning that this can be objectively derived from either observation or having the right capabilities or having the right knowledge. And in which case that shouldn't be held tightly by particular consulting firms or any particular entity. It should be something that any of us could gather and, and acquire if it's just a matter of applying the right method or applying the right knowledge and, and receiving an objective outcome. So I think it is a question that if you're listening right now, you need to ask yourself, do you believe that? Or do you believe you're just hiring another opinion or hiring an external opinion? Because I think that's one fundamental split that, that Jonathan, you and I have talked about. And I think we've kind of gone past that point and we believe there is so much objectivity to this space. But I think a lot of people need to, to be really reflect on that. And what is their expectation? Is that possible even? Yeah, I would say that people can't know the answer to that because the numbers are just too astounding in the waste of consulting. There would be a much higher return of investment if it was more uh, possible. But the fact that there's a less likely chance that there'll be a return of investment on, consult on any consulting engagement than not uh, would indicate that... Uh, that it's not fulfilling any meaningful function in a, in, a, in a routine way, because otherwise people would use it in that way and you'd see higher numbers of a return of investment. Um, so I think it really just goes back to everybody sees the problems. They, they, they see the symptoms of the various problems uh, and, and they, they don't have an alternative right now. Uh, so they have to go to experts, uh, whatever the nature of the problem is. Um, and they don't have a choice of not doing that right now because then they're just stuck with the problem and it looks like they're just not doing anything about it, which I think as you'll see when we start getting into real life use cases, in many instances, that's exactly what we would, we would say. In many instances, we would say, yes, that's a problem. A mature organization knows not to touch that problem right now or that it's not capable of touching that problem or it's not on the right, in the right hierarchy of, of touching a problem. Um, but, uh, for right now, I don't think they have those options. Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point because it's the idea that, okay, there's this problem we just cannot surmount or we cannot solve. Let's say with our current capabilities, I'm a business and I have this problem I can't get over. It is almost just historical precedent in some way in the last few decades of business to say, well, there's knowledge and hired guns out there that proves that you're acting on it. If you can just go out and hire them and you can pull them in and you have the, the funds or the budget, you can say, I am working on this just by the merit of I've hired people who have more capability or have more knowledge. And that's really the consulting product. I always tell people, what do consultants sell? They're selling knowledge. They're selling capability. 
in the form of, let's say, research or you're having extra people on the ground. But why would one hire knowledge? You have to admit that there's a gap in your own knowledge or capabilities internally. And you're saying that instead of trying to develop it or acquire it in-house, it's actually somehow cheaper or you're going to get you a better return to pay a premium to just hire that capability that's already out there. But as we pointed out, they have no organizational context. They have no skin in the game most of the time. They may be there for two or three months. They may be there longer, but their skin in the game is getting you to pay them more for longer engagements and, and longer revenue cycles. So, you know, hopefully if you haven't thought about it this way, this is painting a picture of sort of an unhealthy marketplace where I'm supposed to be a consultant who's selling you capability to solve a particular gap in skill set or a problem you've, you've identified. But my incentive is really to be working with you and helping you, you know, prove to you that you need this capability as long as possible. And I think I've seen it time and time again, it becomes a, a toxic cycle. That's another dimension you just added within that, uh, Sam, is that sometimes what they're buying is time. So they're buying time because nobody wants to commit to a particular decision or somebody thinks that a particular solution that they're going after with an organization will bear fruit if they just had more time. And uh, adding a consultant just stops all decisions for a period of time and enables somebody to do some activity at the same time to further whatever agenda they have. So sometimes that... Uh, that uh, the, the consultant, rather than bringing clarity, is just adding more time to entrench different uh, uh, perspectives that should have been unraveled uh, even before a consultant came in. Yeah, it's an interesting way you put it. You're just buying time. I think it goes back to kind of putting it into the political bucket of why do we use consultants? Well, because we don't know what to do and we just need time or we need to have somebody else spend the time to look at it and tell us again what we should be doing instead of just acting on it ourselves which a lot of times is, it is, it's just stalling. A lot of times I've seen it firsthand, been hired to stall. I've also been hired personally in my career many times to step in right after another group of consultants finish their work. And oftentimes what I'm handed is something inactionable. And now they're saying, well, our new problem is we don't know how to act on what the first consultant told us. So now you consult and tell us how to do this and actually do something with it. I mean, I've seen that so many times. It's it's sort of crazy when you think about it. And in fairness to the to the market currently, in many instances, if the consultant were to say at the outset, "Well, your your objective client doesn't make sense, or your objective can't be realized," they wouldn't have a lot of work left to do. So that there's almost a, the the nature of what you just talked about the the the, the sales cycle that they have. Uh, militates against uh, giving that kind of real honest feedback right from the outset. Um, nor do people want to hear it. Uh, but we believe yeah. that if we put it in, in, a, in as, we, as we said, a, a democratized fashion, that it's not about this methodology or that methodology, or it's about this person saying it or that person saying it, but it's just the fundamentals, the science is, is you know, going to get you to that result every time, or companies that try proceeding absent A, B, or C will fail every time. Well, then that's a whole different story. Um, yeah. Well, and like you said, you tied it well back to what we started the podcast with this time, which is that we're trying to help people see more clearly what the problems are and what is a viable path to solve them. And as you're seeing the picture we're describing with the consulting industry, which is one of the problems that our company is trying to tackle, this sort of unhealthy consulting relationship model that's happening, a consultant is never incentivized, like Jonathan just said, to say, no, this problem doesn't need us right now. You can't solve this right now and you need to kind of look elsewhere or build your own internal capability 
why would any consultant ever say that? If you approach somebody, there, there's, there's integrity, but even integrity goes only so far when they also see it as their livelihood and they, they want to make it a problem they can fix. It's not even a lot of times an issue of malintent. I don't want anyone to think right off the bat that, you know, we're like, we're going out and saying all consultants are evil. You know, Jonathan and I are, have, do a lot of consulting work. That's the majority of our work. I think the question is, you know, when you actually want to help people and somebody presents a problem to you, you want to see that problem in a way that you can help solve it, even if that's not truly the case. And I think a lot of people are having those conversations out there because they want to get in there and they want to help. Yes, it's their livelihood. In, but but also I think they they think they can legitimately impact it, and if you had an objective tool or a method to say almost like an arbiter of these conversations to say this is not something that needs to be on the table right now. This is not possible with a consultant. It's not possible with a hundred more staff. It's just not happening. It's not a good idea based on on a number of factors. You know, it, it's trying to bring clarity to what can also be a very often be a very complex, heavy conversation. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, what I'd love to see is just at least people be more aware of the objective reality of what's going on around them. Uh, all too often in, in, in consulting engagements or when, when sitting in, you know, high level meetings, basically what's being described to me can only result in what, I, what always the image that comes to my head are two cars uh, hurling toward each other on a one way street. And it's just a matter of time before they hit each other. Now, in the conversation or in the request that, that the, the clients are making, they, they don't see that. They don't see the logical uh, extension of what uh, is must happen as a result of what they're trying to do, but we do, and we wanna save that pain. And we also from fundamentally believe that everybody wants to try and add value. Everybody wants to do the right thing. Uh, and, and even in, when we're talking about politics, Usually it's because people genuinely want to, they believe that their approach is going to result in, 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 what, in, in the best thing for everybody. Um, but at the end of the day, it can't all be right. And so if we can just open everyone's eyes to that reality, uh, I think what, uh, what we would call process vision, uh, I think uh, that we'd be pretty satisfied in, 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 in having that impact. Yeah. And process vision, it's it's something that we have been talking about a lot as part of Truval, as part of our own career nomenclature uh, or taxonomy, I should say. And it's really like learning how to read in a different way, like any skill set. You know, if you if you don't know how to read, you can look at a bunch of, of characters and you'll not make any sense out of it. But suddenly all, you learn how to read or you learn how to see it a different way. And all this meaning is unlocked. That's similar to some of this process science or business science that we're talking about, which is there's certain fundamentals about how people are configured to work in a situation, how finances are applied, like all these business factors that go into a situation. And you have the right fundamental lens to look at it, to understand the process of it, this process vision, all of a sudden you can see the craziness of it, of one idea after another. And sometimes like Jonathan said, you've got two cars hurtling toward each other. I oftentimes feel the same thing where I sit in a room and people are suggesting to me business activity that's like pushing water up a hill. And you just think, how could they not see it? But again, it's just because there's an unlock that hasn't happened, but that unlock is not going to happen if you hire a consultant or another company or, or, or anything really to solve a problem instead of give you the knowledge, give you the capability. And that's, I think, one of the biggest things I want to get across in this discussion, which is I think we should all be investing in capability building. Even just look at the marketplace as a comment on this. Everything's moving so fast now in the digitized marketplace. 
if you think like back in the 80s, it takes you a month to close a contract with a consultant and they take six months to solve a problem. If you think that could still be even close to acceptable today, the problem is gone in two months. You know, the market moves faster. We don't have ramp up and ramp down times. If you want to survive, we have to take accountability for building capabilities. That's my, my deepest opinion. And I think that we, to build capabilities, you have to first know which capabilities you need, know what you don't have, and then you have to find the right resources. And I think, you know, Jonathan and I feel passionate about providing those resources and we're still trying to figure it out. We'll be transparent. We're trying to figure out how the best way to get them out there. But we want people to have that vision to be able to see what we're seeing and be able to apply the fundamentals to help themselves and not think every time they have a problem, they need to rely on outside sources to, to really tag in and tackle it down because it's just, it's not sustainable. And you just think uh, how some, another reason why this all persists is because whatever it is that NNT was trying to do shouldn't have been done to begin with, and they fail in trying to, in doing it anyway. So it kind of cancels each other out and it's just a lot of wasteful activity while the real value of an entity just continues. So it's just layering on on top of it. So sometimes it's actually good that these efforts fail because the objective that would have been met would have been problematic uh, regardless. What we're trying to do is get rid of some of that waste so that uh, the actual value that's being produced could be much more, could, there could be a lot more focus on that. Yeah, spending your energy doing the right things is, is such a big focus of our company right now. And a lot of our, I think our early conversations, which is, you know, how to do something right can be a bit more complicated. But, you know, if you isolate what we've been talking about today, which is if you want to do anything, if you just take a breath and think, what do I need to ask myself to figure out, should I be doing this right now? I think that would be a good stopping point just to say, how would I even know if I should be doing this right now? And if you can't answer that question, don't just start doing it. Activity is different than creating value. I think that's it's very high level nebulous terms. And we're, I know we're throwing a lot of them around in this very first conversation you guys are having with us, but you can't equate activity to value adding activity. You just can't. And I, I think anyone who pauses and thinks about it for, for a second would know that that's true, but often we, we still act on the presumption that we have to be acting all the time. We have to show that we're being productive. We have to be running around and looking busy. And that's, a, that's something we have to combat. Jonathan and I and thought a lot about this when I said, we, we have to stop. We can't just keep moving. Uh, I remember that was our earliest conflicts, right, Jonathan? And that's the, the final thought I'll have is that one of the biggest problem is, is that everyone's measured on activity. And so it's really hard to justify well, I'm doing nothing and that's how I'm helping the company. You know, so, so there's almost like the incentive is to have the appearance of, of producing and doing something, even if that activity is ultimately harmful. Whereas if we can present what we're trying to present here uh, in the tool, hopefully it'll start showing a lot more people that maybe they should be inactive as well if they really wanna help their company. Yeah, and, and that's a whole podcast we can do, but I'll tell you guys who are listening, and this is why I, I'm considered a bad consultant, or maybe I had a bad first technical interview with Jonathan, because I will still advise to this day, stop what you're doing. That's my, my advice. Just stop and just do nothing for a second. People can't compute that. But you know, sometimes if any of you are studied with lean or, or a lot of basic process improvement, activity hides waste. A lot of times, if you want to expose the real problem or the real path to success, you have to stop passively contributing to it by appearing active and covering up what's happening. Sometimes it is the most impactful thing you can do. Stay silent. Don't participate. Consciously abstain. These are some of my favorite tools. They're very unpopular uh, for, for a reason. I know it feels very counterintuitive.
but our goal here is to make that popular. To make it popular, show, make, make the show. unpopular popular. So, yeah, yeah. I, think I, I, no. I was yeah, going to say, I think that's a good closing closing thought for our first conversation. I know we tried to cover a lot. I, I want everyone to get the sense, at least from me, that we are very, we're nutty. We're very passionate about these problems. We hope to have a lot of really crazy conversations coming up about maybe more tactical topics. But we wanted to hopefully this will give you an impression of of the wild world of what we're trying to tackle at Truval. So crazy or not, I guess you guys can help us decide as we go.